The Trek Geeks Podcast Network is proud to have Fansets as its presenting sponsor. Fansets is the place for amazing pin collectibles, and they have over 200 officially licensed Star Trek pins and new releases coming out every month. Stay tuned for a special discount code good on your next order at fansets.com just for Trek Geeks listeners. Fansets, our pins have character. This episode is also sponsored by Science Division, the makers of the world's first interactive tribble that you can control with your smartphone. Keep listening for details on an amazing special offer to adopt your tribble and to find out more at sciencediv.com. Science Division, trouble's never been this fun. Hi, this is Michelle Specht. I play Dr. Elise McKenna on Star Trek Continues. Oh my God, I'm totally fangirling right now because I just met Dan Davidson and Bill Smith of the Trek Geeks podcast. Oh my gosh, they are amazing. The official office of Temporal Investigations of Podfleet Command. It's a very new office, or it's very old, depending on what time you're getting there. See what I did there? Um, it's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant, the flagship of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Greetings, ladies, gentlemen, children of all ages, and welcome to the Trek Geeks Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith, and this is episode number 235. Wow. Hard to believe. It's, uh, it's something we love doing every week, and we love to talk about Star Trek, and we hope that uh, that you do love listening to it, because that's why we're here. And of course, by we, I do mean my co-host and I. I wish I could go 54 years without seeing him. But um, unfortunately, he keeps showing up every week. If memory serves, he's the, uh, the largely forgettable Dan Davidson. And Dan, uh, welcome aboard, buddy. We're going to continue a conversation we started last week. We absolutely are. Thanks for having me on, buddy. It's good to be here. Right. If memory serves, uh, it's something I enjoy doing every week. And yeah, we've said it a couple of times now. We're going to continue the conversation. We had a great conversation last week, man. Even with you, it was awesome. I really loved it. We talked to Cage. We talked Pike. We talked Vina. We talked about what it was like for the very first episode of Star Trek and and what it could have been like if that was the actual pilot that came out uh, in the late 60s. But we had a great discussion. And and we said when we were putting this together, it's going to be a two-parter because now with new Star Trek on the screen and and the adventures of the Dis- USS Discovery in Season 2 and, and the return of Captain Pike, there was an episode in the middle of the season which was just incredible uh, where we get to continue that story of Pike, of Vina, of Talos Four and the Telosians with the episode entitled If Memory Serves. So that's what we're going to be talking about uh, here this week and Part 2 of our Captain Pike two-parter which is of two parts <laughs> wow that's convenient how that Thank happens <laughs> um math is not hard 
<laughs> and it's not hard at all. You know, it's it's amazing to think that we get to revisit these characters 54 years after the fact. I mean, like we talked about last week, The Cage was an episode that people didn't largely see until 1986 or 1988, depending on when you saw it. And that was 20 to 22 years after it first aired, which is amazing. Yeah, it really is. And now we get a continuation in the midst of a show like Star Trek Discovery with with brand new actors and brand new stories. And it's it's damn near incredible. It's it's incredible. I'm gonna. It, it really is incredible. I remember the week before, at the end of that episode of Discovery, where Burnham. Uh, we'll get into the details of what's going on, but Burnham uh, and Spock uh, have to head somewhere, and she figures out that, or the computer tells them that the, their destination is Talos Four, and that's how the episode ended. And I freaked out. I was just like going completely berserk. Didn't expect it. Was very excited. Could not wait to see what happened the next week on Discovery. And uh, they didn't disappoint at all, buddy. Well, we're going to talk that about. Uh, we're going to talk more about that later, including a spoiler warning. So if you haven't seen all of Star Trek Discovery Season 2, um, there are some things that we're going to talk about that you may not want to hear right away. So um, we'll be sure to give you a heads up for that. But for now, Dan... We want people to know how they can get in touch with us, if memory serves. If memory serves, we're going to say that a lot, and we're not going to get tired of it. Uh, we've got we get so much great feedback uh, from Trek Geeks listeners, Bills, Bill. Uh, how great I am! How you are! Uh, people discover <laughs> people people discover the podcast every single day, and and we would love to hear from you. So you can send us email, you can leave us a voicemail, you can chat us up, you can tweet at us, all kinds of methods to get your comments, feedback, suggestions to us. And it all starts by going to trekgeeks.com slash contact. Plus, don't forget that our official Facebook group, Camp Kittimer, is the most positive Star Trek group on Facebook. There's no trolling, there's no gatekeeping, and there's only people celebrating what they love about Trek. You'll find us there, too, along with a community of over 1,800 Star Trek fans who spread the ideals of IDIC every single day. So fire up that Commodore 64 of yours and and go to the face place and, and search for Camp Kittimer. It, it really is amazing, and you're going to be taking part of a truly wonderful social experience. And as always, we want to thank our wonderful admins, Haley, Jackie, and Dan, for the amazing job they do running that camp. Uh, it's also very important to know that if memory serves, any comments or messages you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future or past episode, Bill. Who is this? Who are you? What? Huh? Yeah. Dan, time flies when you're having fun. So I guess we're at a snail's pace since I have to record with you every single week. But my loss is everyone's gain, especially when we talk about fans. Oh, right you are, man. Wait, what? Okay, yeah. Anyway, yes. Uh, you know, it's hard to believe we're almost halfway through the month of October, and there's so much going on at fansets.com. Of course, there are monthly pins that are now available, like Bryce from Discovery and Hoshi Sato for the Women of Trek collection. Uh, you can still pre-order the special Voyager collector set commemorating the 25th anniversary of the show. At only $180, it is by far the least expensive collector set that Fansets has ever released. But the quality is still exactly what you would expect at Fansets. And that's perfection, Bill, uh, unlike you. But you can also pre-order the Lower Decks Delta, which includes the Lower Decks full-size badge pin, magnet-based badge, and the mini badge all sold separately. They'll be shipping by the end of November, so prepare to get your Cerritos on, or something like that. Uh, plus, 
You know, Bill, we don't talk about this very often, uh, but it is no surprise that Fanset sells out of a lot of pins. Would you say that's correct? That's accurate? I would say that's that's okay, very accurate. And, and why wouldn't they? I mean, their demand is always high, unlike your IQ. Uh, well, head on over to fansets.com right now, friends. Scroll to the bottom of their front page and click on the back in stock section. They have a ton of pins back in circulation that you'll want to get your hands on if you miss them the first time. Pins like the Fenris Ranger calling card from Star Trek Picard and the B9 Danger Bill Smith Danger Pin from Lost in Space, just to name a few. In fact, they have over three dozen pins back in stock right now. There are several shots fired at me during that uh, uh, that I'm, read, and just know it's it's coming back to you at some point. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, it's nice that it's that way for a change. Dan, uh, this is awesome news, as always. Scanning through that list of back in stock pins, there are some really great ones from their initial set of releases, like uh, some animated series pins, as well as first season TNG Wharf with a phaser rifle. That really is one that I really dig. So I'm going to be adding that myself. Listeners, do yourself a huge favor. Go over to fansets.com. When you get there, put a whole lot of pins and accessories and even some gift cards into your cart. And don't forget to check out that back in stock section, because when you spend more than 30 bucks, you're automatically going to get free shipping in the U.S., and then on top of that, for 15% off your entire order, use the special Trek Geeks discount code for this week, TALOSIAN. That's T-A-L-O-S-I-A-N in all capital letters. This discount code will be available to use from now until Wednesday, October 21st, 2020 at midnight Eastern Daylight Time. Fansets. Our pins have character. And we thank our friends at Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. I wish you had as much character as their pins have. My word. That well, shots that fired. Was not Mr. in the copy. No, it's not. We're branching into the main <laughs> segment. Now I can say whatever the hell I want to. <laughs> because uh, it's the Trek Geeps podcast. Exactly. Yes. Spock. Yeah. Spock, <laughs> help me, Spock. Uh, Dan, here we are to talk about kind of the second act of our Pike Vena Talos 4 conversation that we started last week in the cage. Um, and it's very interesting to me that now, well, 54 years later, um, we get to look at these two characters again in Star Trek Discovery Season 2 episode, If Memory Serves. Before we go any further, we want to tell people, if you haven't watched Season 2 of Star Trek Discovery, what's the matter? Right. Go watch Come on. Um, we are going to talk about things that occur in that episode and uh, also occur during the season because it is a, a an, an arced season as far as episodes go. So uh, be careful of spoilers. If you haven't seen it, stop now. Um, or if you just want to hear the discussion, proceed forward at your own risk. Dave. And if you haven't seen it, you're like almost two years behind, people. Come on. What, what the <laughs> hell? It's Star Trek. What are you doing you know, waiting for watch Star Trek? Come on. Get on the TV. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> yeah. Put as articul articulately as only you can. And I stumbled over the word articulately, which is probably the best part of that whole joke. Um, so it, there is a difference between the episodic TV, the 1960s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, and serialized TV as we get now with Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Picard. Um, this is this particular episode, if memory serves, is kind of a a bridge between those two styles because there are things that happen in this episode that serve the rest of the arc, but don't necessarily matter in the entire arc of the series. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the things that don't matter in the arc of the series are actually the best parts of this episode when you come right down to it. Um, 
Is it fan service? No, in my mind, it really isn't. It's building on what we've seen in the past and building on in a way that's not fan service, but a great continuation to a story that took place in 1965 when it was originally filmed. I think they did it brilliantly and, and it works in the serialized arc, not being serialized. If that means it makes any sense whatsoever. Uh, to me, it does, but that's only because I've been used to your pedantic psycho babbling for 25 Thank years. You. Uh, <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome. You know, at the very outset of this episode, one of the things I really love about it is sort of the stylized previously on Star Trek intro that occurs. I remember the first time I saw that I was having lunch at work in the, uh, in the, the common area and I was watching it on my iPad and I started to go nuts because I'm like, wait a second, that's footage from the cage. So they took the footage from the pilot um, and the menagerie, whatever, however you want to look at it in this case, and did a, a previously on, which I thought was pretty damn amazing, creating a great transition from uh, Jeff Hunter to, to Anson Mount. Uh, I'm glad that you had such a great experience with that because my first experience with that opening scene wasn't that great. Really? I was watching it with a wife. I sat down to watch with it. And you're going to know why I say that in a second. So I said it and, and, and from time to time, CBS all access doesn't always load as correctly or quickly <laughs> as one <laughs> might want to. And I'm not trying to dig on them. That's just a fact. And of course with, you know, Discovery's popular. So people are trying to watch it all at the same time. So I get it finally loaded up and I'm like, Oh, for damn it. And I'm Dropping f bombs, probably. I tend to do that once in a while. You? Yeah. So I finally hit play, and it 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 spins for a few seconds, and then previously on Star Trek, and it starts showing the cage, and I'm like, "Gee, damn it! What the f is wrong with this thing? Why are we watching the cage? I didn't choose just <laughs> the cage. I'm wondering. Oh, I actually stopped it and started it again to make sure that I wasn't screwed. Something didn't screw up. So. Oh my yeah, God. it was pretty funny that I thought something was wrong, but no, those sneaky people over at Discovery did that on purpose, and it was perfect. <laughs> you were such an idiot. <laughs> that's that's one that I, I just, every once in a while, I'll, I'll be joking around with my wife and say, honey, maybe we should just stop it and start over again in case it's the wrong show, and she'll just look at me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that just makes my day yeah. to know that that, that happened. I Because um, when I saw it, I lost my mind. Uh, once I realized, first, yeah, I did too. <laughs> I had to figure that Scott Gamzon, the the editor, one of one of the editors of Discovery, who I think put that piece together, uh, just had to be having fanboy moments uh, doing the whole thing because it is just such a great tribute to what came before yeah. in the cage. But the way it brings it forward to that moment in Star Trek Discovery season two is just it's 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 perfect. And for me. what a great way to tie the two together after fifty plus years for that whole thing and then the way that they meld it they have that really iconic look of Jeffrey Hunter as Pike kind of looking staring out grimly and then it flashes and it's Anson Mount with pretty much the same look on his face on the bridge I thought that was great and uh, it just set up for a great hour of television it really did so let's talk a little bit about where discovery is as this episode starts um, season two is the red angel season of Star Trek Discovery um, Pike is taking command of the, uh, discovery. I almost said the enterprise <laughs> taking command of the discovery, uh, on Starfleet's order to search for the reason behind these mystery signals that have appeared in space at various yep. points. And so he leads the discovery crew amid all of this is a search for Lieutenant Spock, 
who is missing and accused of murdering uh, three people at a essentially a, a Federation funny yes. party. Wow. Um, and that's the Star Trek three callback. So, um, before people think I'm, I'm, I'm denigrating what happens at, at mental health facilities, um, I'm actually quoting mm-hmm. Star Trek. 3. Yep. Um, have I, oh, I, I missed things. So, because, uh, Burnham is, has rescued Spock. Yes. She's found him. Yes. Um, she's taken him from the clutches of section thir- 31, mm-hmm. I think that happened the episode Correct. before. Um, she's escaped section 31 ship by getting into a fight with Georgia who kind of helped her escape. Right. Have I covered it? Yeah. Um, the discovery crew had just dealt with the archive, downloading everything into its ship and then exploded. Oh, right. the sp- so the section 31 was pretty aggravated about that happening and sphere, sphere data. data. Yeah. Um, I think you got it all. Spock is a little, um, wishy-washy. He's not really talking or communicating. His his mind is like a scrambled egg. Oh, and the return of Dr. Culber from the dead. Oh, yeah, that little thing, yeah. <laughs> um, and Ash Tyler is on board the Discovery at the scene. Yeah, uh, that's not going to be good. Um, no, <laughs> no, not good at all. Um, we could do an entire episode just based on yeah. that relationship alone. Maybe someday we will. But uh, but for now, so that's what's going on in this particular episode. I got one more is, thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, at the end of the previous episode, to set up for this episode... Uh, uh, Burnham has escaped section 31 with Spock in the shuttle and he, she figures out that he's got a little dyslexia going on and figures out by something, I forget how, uh, coordinates of where they need to go. And the end of the last episode, the coordinates flashed up on the screen and it was Talos four. A jaw dropping moment. Cause uh, I, I remember being stunned by that going, Oh my God, we're going back to Talos. (laughs) Um, so yeah, so as this episode opens, we are essentially on our way there. Um, and that's kind of where we are now. Um, one of the key relationships before we kind of get into Vina and Pike and the Talosians is really the, the relationship that Discovery Season 2 draws between Pike and Spock. Um, obviously, there's the one between Spock and Michael Burnham, which we'll talk about in a minute. But we get a little more backstory, a little more history, a little more context into their relationship, which I think does a really good job of informing the menagerie. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And that's something that I wasn't really expecting. And to tell you the truth, it didn't really, it didn't, it's not something that resonates with me as much as the rest of the episode. I think it was good that they threw in there, but it's something that I've really never given too much credence or thought to, to be honest with you. Okay. No, that's fair. You know, because we know in, in the menagerie that, that Spock is, is essentially throwing his whole career away, potentially, to take Pike back to mm-hmm. Talos for, And that says that there has to be a reason why Spock feels that level of of determination, of, of uh, allegiance to Pike. Um, some could say it's because it's his captain, but um, I think it it's always gone deeper than that. I think this episode gives us some really good foundation as to what their relationship is and probably will become over time as we watch Strange New World. I guess you could always look at it as the um, you'd have done the same for me situation that we see. This is this is all what that s- supposedly means. Uh, which I which I Definitely. think is which I think is, is is important in itself. It's just I haven't really taken the the time to say okay, uh, this is what all this meant in the menagerie. Um, because as you said, we didn't know then, but now we look at it as we're going to get a whole new bunch of stuff with Strange New World with that relationship, which could also have a lot to do with what he does in the menagerie. 
Uh, absolutely. And, and to think that they're going to paint some of that context in it is pretty exciting yeah, to me as a fan. Um, Pike also gives a wide latitude to Michael Burnham, who is the foster sister, I think is the best way to describe mm-hmm. it, of Spock. Um, and they just kind of refer to themselves as sister and brother. And I get it. As somebody who has uh, half sisters and half brothers, we just refer to ourselves in my family as brother and sister. So, um, and that relationship between Spock and, and Michael Burnham, which some people think is a little kludgy, um, because it's never mentioned in TOS for obvious mm-hmm. reasons. Um, it, uh, this relationship in particular really gets some, some gut-wrenching context later on in the episode. Um, you know, uh, as part of the journey to Talos, you know, they kind of have to unlock Spock's mind and we understand the pain that Spock felt at, as the result of Michael's words as a child. And when we talked about it on discovering Trek, I thought it, I thought it was pretty damning. I thought it was pretty serious and I could understand why that rift grew between them. Yeah. Especially, you know, watching this again recently, um, I don't actually recall what I said. I think it was along the same lines as you on discovering Trek, but they had a good relationship up to that point. Spock really showed that he cared for Michael when he was young, showed emotion, said he loved her, this, that, and the other thing. But Michael did what she needed to do in order to protect him and the family. And she knew that the logic logic extremists were going to cause problems for the family if she stayed. So she decided to leave. And the only way that she could do that cleanly was to to do probably the most painful thing she had ever done in her life up to that point. And it's lived and she's lived with it her whole life. I mean, you can see the pain in her face as a young Michael and you can see the pain on her face as a, as the real time Michael when she's, um, uh, with Spock on Talos four and, and just rewatching those scenes, uh, just a couple of days ago. And I rewatched the episode was really, really difficult. I mean, great acting by everyone involved, all four actors, um, young Spock and Michael and, and present day Spock and Michael, but man, to, having to do something like that for the for the greater good is never easy, especially when you can't tell the person why. You know, and I think about that scene where Michael says, you know, essentially, um, I, I don't love you. Go away from me. I don't want to see you ever again. And I'm paraphrasing mm-hmm. in, in vast terms because I want people to see the scene. And I think about it from my perspective. How would I have felt at that age, you know, at Spock's age, if one of my older sisters had said that to me? Because my next eldest sister, you know, for me is is nine years older. So how would I have felt if she or any one of my other sisters had said the kind of things that Michael said to Spock? And it would be incredibly um, injurious. I mean, I that would be huge. Life crushing I, when I, you're I, that age. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's easy to see why Spock takes it with him, especially with his, his half-human side. Um, and why he carries it with him even as an adult. And that's really what fascinates me. And what fascinates me is when they finally, we share it, we have this memory shared by way of the Telosians, and Michael is is expressing her sorrow, and, and Spock's like, nah, I'm not sorry, you helped me. And he was, he was, for someone who's not supposed to be super emotional, even though he is in this time frame, he was pretty damn cold then. I mean, more cold than a regular Vulcan would be uh, when they're just being logical. Uh, he was sure to get some unquote air quotes, unemotional jabs in uh, to Michael during that exchange uh, on Talos four before they left. Oh, without a doubt. Uh, but Michael gets some of her own in sort of establishing that, that represent you really think the beards work. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like, Hmm. <laughs> hmm. 
Perhaps not. Um, before we get into sort of the, the Pike and Vena aspect and sort of what carries forward from the cage, the last thing I want to mention is the Telosians themselves. Mm-hmm. So back in 1965, we had largely women dressed as aliens with these sort of things on their head that had puffy veins and, and these long sort of silver, metallic yes. silverish um, uh, robes or yeah. gowns or whatever you want to call them, costumes. The necklace. And um, it, it, the necklace, it looked very 1965. If you go back and you watch The Cage today, which we did for last right. week, you look at that and you go, yep, that's the 60s. Yes. So when you first saw the updated look for the Telosians in If Memory Serves, what was your first reaction? I loved it. I, I, I think one of the things that I have appreciated with Discovery, and I know that the gatekeepers and the naysayers have a problem with it is we are now in 2020 or 2018 when this came out 2019 technology has advanced there are ways to portray things from the 1960s with new methods and it can still be the same thing people the one thing i saw which was wasn't a big deal but it's it I, somebody noted pointed this out to me and noted it is the nose ridge on the telosians in the discovery version is an opposite direction than in the 60s version i don't care about that i thought it was great i love the gown i love the 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 veins and I, the necklace it was the same yet different to me. And it was something that I I absolutely loved. And I also like the fact that Vina's dress was more of that 60s looking silvery material than the Telosians. Yeah. And I was totally cool with it. I love the look of the new me Telosians. Too. I mean, whether you want to consider them the Telosians from the north and the guys from the 60s, the <laughs> Telosians from the south, kind of like the Romulans, I don't care. Um, but I thought it was a great way to take this alien species that we'd seen and make it look modern and futuristic mm-hmm. without completely gutting it. I loved it. You know, the look the look of the costume is very similar. The necklace, as you explain, is similar. The head is very reminiscent. You see the veins popping out of it already. The only thing I wish they had done differently is I wish they had cast all women. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Is this, is this male version of the Telosian supposed to be the same gatekeeper as the cage version? Is it the same character? We, we have no idea. Some people complained who, because you just said, we don't know. People were complaining, why did they cast a man for that role when it was a woman before? We don't know if it's the same Telosian or if it's someone different. But I do agree with you. If it had been all women, it would have gelled a little bit more, I think. I think so too. Um, and they could have, you know, uh, I think it would have been a very easy choice. Ultimately, I thought the actor they selected did a great awesome job. job. Yeah. Um, and he, he portrayed the part very well. And that's really what I cared about. I thought the Telosians were, were such a great introduction at this point in mm-hmm. Discovery. And it, it's nice to get to see them regardless of General Order 7. Absolutely. Um, and it's also nice to hear the things that yeah. we remember about Talos Four. I, I, this episode had so many freak out moments, not bad ones like when I thought the TV was broken, but good ones like when she la- when Burnham lands on Talos Four and goes out of the shuttle. You hear that hum, 
that you heard in the cage mm-hmm. and then she touches the blue plant and the hum stops and the 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 um uh imagery sound effect when the telosians are 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 bringing up uh, an illusion and then the transporter sound what at the end when they when they trick section 31 all of those moments are such great oh my god moments that again to me in this episode it's not fan service it's working in the episode and it it's done perfectly in my opinion my problem with the term fan service is that more often than not, it's used by people who hate things that are done, um, that call back. Um, now that, that's not true of everybody. I want to say that right off the bat, because some people think that these things get put in there just to make the fans squee a little bit. And sometimes that's true. But when you have something like this, where it actually propels the story and it's useful to the characters, that's, to me, that's really not fan service. That's just, it, it's, it's, it's carrying the action on in, in a halfway decent way. So, um, I, I love, I love the Telosians. I like the fact that it was shot in an actual location yeah. and not a soundstage that really had this, this overblown <laughs> set and budget. Um, it looked really alien while still looking, you know, familiar, yeah. which I thought was Absolutely. great. Absolutely. So before we get into Vina and Pike, let's do a little business with America, Dan, and talk about some of our friends and some small business. Absolutely, Bill. You know, we love to talk about small business, and we love to talk about our friends Jay and Kalia over at Science Division. They're the makers of the galaxy's first interactive Tribble that you can control with your own mobile phone. We really do. These Tribbles are such a unique collectible, and they're going to make a great addition to your Trek stash, believe me. You won't believe how real these Tribbles seem. It's really amazing. Plus, like Dan said, they're interactive. The Tribble from Science Division has three modes, at ease, where they're happy and content, on duty, which is a random mix of happy and angry sounds, and watchdog, where you can be sure that they've seen someone as hideous as Dan Davidson. Oh, hey, wait a second. Pipe down there, ugly. I'm talking. Now, you don't have to use the app to enjoy your Tribble, but if you do, there's also an attack button, which makes your Tribble scream on demand at friends, family, or even podcast hosts who have a face for audio. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that was good. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Uh, yeah. You can buy your Tribble right now at sciencediv.com. And when it arrives, you can download the Section K7 app on your Apple uh, uh, Apple, app, Apple App Store or Google Play. Uh, give it a name and even choose what ship it'll be assigned to. And just FYI, mine is on Deep Space Nine. Thank you very much. Uh, and of course, you can assign it to a ship, which is one of the positive things like Deep Space Nine, because Bill, gerbils are not dangerous naturally, my friend. Yeah, naturally. Sorry. And don't forget <laughs> that uh, Science Division has a special fall sale going on this very moment. For a limited time, you can get your Tribble on sale for $64, a savings of $5 off. That's amazing to start with because, you know, you're a Trek Geeks listener and you can save even more because right now we've got a special discount code, Discovery. You can use that at checkout for an additional $5 off your Tribble, bringing the cost down to only $59. That's Discovery in all capital letters for an additional 5 bucks off. Now, this exclusive Trek Geeks discount code is good until Wednesday, October 21st, 2020 at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Bill. This just in, Dan. Science Division has an additional offer that you're just not going to believe. So in addition to the $5 off sale and the Trek Geeks discount code of Discovery, Science Division is having an exclusive flash sale on Thursday, October 15th to celebrate Discovery Season 3. So if you order your Tribble on that day between the hours of midnight 
And 11.59 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, so somewhere in that 24-hour span, you're going to get free shipping on your Tribble in the United States and Canada. That's right. One day only, October 15th, five bucks off, $5 discount code, and the free shipping in the U.S. and Canada if you order on the 15th. I don't believe it. Uh, believe it, because it's You thought I wouldn't believe it. Okay. <laughs> Science Division. Trouble's never been this fun. And we thank our friends at Science Division for sponsoring this week's episode. The only thing I can't believe is your audacity, sir. I said good day. Wow. I still don't believe it. No, it's because you're not that bright. Okay. Hey, hey, I got I got something for you. No, I don't. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, why are you flipping me I, off? I, you are a liar. <laughs> <laughs> so we can't talk about this episode and not talk about the importance of Vina and Pike together again. One of the things I really love is the casting of Vina in this episode. In the original uh, Cage and also, you know, in, in the flashbacks from the Menagerie, Vina was played by the amazing Susan Oliver. Correct. Um, who's become iconic in Star Trek, both as, as Vina and as the, uh, the, the Orion slave girl you would see in the end credits of almost every Star Trek mm-hmm. episode. Today, Vina is played by an actress named Melissa George, who has been in so many things and has been somebody I have enjoyed in a lot of movies, TV shows, and I thought it was just great casting on that level. She doesn't look exactly like Susan Oliver, but I think she carries through the intent of Vina. She really does. And that was an oblique moment. It's again, we talked about it before the break. Um, all the different things that happened in this episode where I was like freaking out on the couch. And that was another one when Burnham was up on the cliff looking at the blue plants and she turns back towards the shuttle from a distance. You can see a woman walking towards the shuttle and I'm screaming at my TV. Oh my God, it's Vina. Oh my God, it's Vina. And it was. And I agree with you. Melissa George did a great job uh as vena she didn't she didn't portray susan's uh susan oliver's vena she was vena in this episode yes. and i thought she she was remarkable i thought that it was a nice change of pace uh, the vena of the cage is a very different vena she's been there for a while she's been alone for a while and at the end of the cage, she has this menagerie of her own. She gets to, you know, take fake Pike back to the zoo and and get going with their lives. Fike. <laughs> I hate you so much right now. Um, in, in this particular case, um, we have two new actors playing these two parts. And I, I dare say, I think their chemistry is a little yes. better than Susan Oliver and Jeff. That's Hunter. exactly what I was going to say. In the cage... The acting back in the 60s was always a little bit more cardboardish, I think, at all times, not just in Star Trek. In a lot of shows back then, it seemed to be. It's just the way that, that things were done back then. These, Anson and Melissa gelled together so great, um, and it made their relationship, dare I say, more believable than the one that we saw in the cage. I thought so. I, I would agree with you. Um, and I think that gets sold from the very moment you see these two characters together for the first time. Um, so Pike is in his ready room aboard the discovery and he's going about his business. And the next thing you know, he looks up and there's Vina and he has a very visceral reaction. I mean, he stumbles, he practically falls over and you can see his face just turn ghastly white to some extent. Best scene of the episode. Yeah. Oh my, I was just going to say the same thing. It is absolutely the best scene. And in that moment, 
I think that I buy the connection between Pike and Vina from the cage far more than I did from just watching the cage alone. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's, I think I, I rewound it and watched that, uh, that, that scene a few times when I watched it just the other day. Uh, he's look, he's actually looking down at his table and sees her reflection in the far side of the table and looks up slowly. And the best part of that entire moment, moment in, re- in relation to his reaction is that his, chair on wheels goes flying because he he like pushes it out of the way as he's shocked to see her standing a person he knew he would never see again standing in his ready room on the discovery it was it's, it, and you're absolutely right his fa- he goes pale and just his reaction he kind of says vena in a way that you can barely even make out the word it it's great well and they have that connection instantly you know, for two actors who I'm assuming they've never worked together before, and we've certainly haven't seen these two characters together in 54 years, the context of the writing immediately establishes that these two characters share an experience that has brought them together and bonded them. You know, um, Vina makes a reference how, you know, she's essentially lived a lifetime with Pike to some extent, I believe is the line. And Pike's like, huh? What are you talking about? And I love that because you're not going to get the payoff of that line until you get to the menagerie. Absolutely, and and it it the, it's great, and and you can't help but think if somebody said that to you, would you kind of feel I don't know if violated is the right word, but you like uh, say what? What are you doing with 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 kind of me? What are you talking about? And <laughs> but it works, and you kind of get the idea that Pike is very okay with it. In, in this episode, because he feels that he's helping her and he kind of wants that too, although he can't really admit it because he does actually say goodbye to her later on in the episode. But uh, we know that based on what we know, what's going to happen. That's not the case. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a, uh, and it creates a, a really nice bridge for the conversation that, that Pike then has with Burnham and then unspot. Absolutely. You know, I kind of like that, that sort of, uh, it's not really a split screen, but you know, when he's having the conversation, he sees the imagery of Talos four and you see a little bit of that wash over An- Anson Mount's face. Like, oh my God, that's Talos four. Um, I know where they are. Um, and I really think that the scene is, is really well constructed, but especially I think it's shot beautifully and edited together amazingly well. It really is. And that's one of the things that I love so much about what we get with Discovery is even though it's a small special effect to put these two sets together to make it look like it's the same set, it's done in such a way that it really makes you think about the power of illusion that the Telosians have because they're able to do it in such a great way. And even though Pike seems to be a little surprised at first, he really melts right into the scene to be able to talk with Burnham and and uh, and Spock and Vina because she you know she's an illusion also at that at that moment even though it's as real as it can be to him. Um, I I just think it's great that the, the writing minds for this episode are unlike anything. I mean I I actually um, DM'd. Bowie and Erica as soon as this uh, – no, actually, that was the other episode. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm confusing the episodes. But the writing for this episode, to be able to do all of these things to make you feel the emotions that you feel that Pike feels is what makes this episode work so much. Agreed. Um, uh, one of the things that that I think really works for the scene is the fact that he gets to see Spock, talk to Spock, and breathe a huge sigh of mm-hmm. relief. 
you know, this whole, we've got to get to Spock is, is, I don't want to say downshifted because it's still a priority in, in Pike's mind, but at now he just, he's got to worry a little less about Spock and worry more about section 31 because that really right at that point is the real threat. Right. And as he finds out, and as you said, a relief, he did not commit any crime, which I'm sure he kind of knew, knew in his bones, but now we know. And he also knows that section 31 was using some kind of torturous ways to try to get information extracted from him. So I assume he's not all too happy with section 31 at this point either, which we kind of see with his trepidation with Tyler later on in the episode. Uh, absolutely, we do. I agree with that 100%. Um, there's another great Pike Vino moment in this particular episode, albeit very brief. But um, so we're going to fast forward probably about 10, 15 minutes or so um, in the episode. And and Pike is on the bridge and he's uh, getting ready to beam Spock and Burnham up to the Discovery. But the Section 31 ship has arrived in orbit and they're getting ready to do the same. And they both have a transporter lock and they can't both beam them. Or Spike and uh, Spike, Spike, Spock and Burnham are going to die. <laughs> um, Spike is on a different. That's show. right. So Pike has a decision to make. You know, does he let go of the lock and let you know um, Section Thirty One beam up Spock and Michael Burnham, or does he uh, does he press the issue? Does he potentially lose them mm-hmm. both forever? And that's a moment where Vina appears and essentially. Um, I like to call it the use the force moment. <laughs> and you know what? It works for me. It's not a, it's not a, these aren't the droids you're looking for moment. It's much more than that to me. She says, let him go. It's the only way. Trust me. Those two words, he instantly said, okay, drop the lock. That shows the feelings that she, that he has for her. Because in my mind, that's what made him say, okay, yep, we're, we're, I'm, I'm trusting her. They've got something going on and drop the lock. And I, I, th- that moment is wonderful. That's the, that's one of the main reasons why I use that image on the album cover this week, because that moment is so important and so deep with the relationship between these two. And really it's kind of the second time she does that to him because at the end of the cage, she's essentially saying the same thing. The, I can't go and, and her revealing her true form is essentially uh, the same kind of conversation. Pike needs to let her go in that moment and know that she's going to be okay and that it's all going to work out. And Pike does. He, he drops his guard. He trusts her. And as much as he wanted to take her away from that place, he knows he can't. Right. And says goodbye. That's when he says goodbye to her. Yeah. That's when he says goodbye, figuring he's never going to see her again. <laughs> Little does he know. Yeah. You're going to wheel him right in, in, in there. This, <laughs> <laughs> Boop. In, in this case, um, she's essentially telling him the same thing. He's got to trust his, his gut instinct and his feelings where Vina is concerned um, because she's essentially saying it's going to work out the way she did back on, on Talos for the first time. And what a way it worked out. That was another, that was another, oh my God moment because when they let go of that, of that transporter lock and they beam Burnham and Spock to the section 31 ship and they're just standing there and when they beam in, you hear that sound. And when they dissolve, you hear it even more. It was very, very faint when they brought them in, but when they dissolve, you hear that Telosian sound. And that was a cheer moment uh, in the living room of my house. It was just great. I got to say, the one cheesy part to that whole scene, say goodbye, Goodbye, Spock. Spock. (laughs) Uh, I don't think the Telosians are into dad jokes. (laughs) 
um, or, or silly humor like mm-hmm. that. I don't think they understand it. Yeah. Um, I could see Michael Burnham saying that, but Spock saying it is how it was instantly how I know. Oh yeah, that's not that. <laughs> now. Maybe that's the way they were trying to telegraph to the viewer that this isn't a thing. Um, but I thought it was. I thought it was a little weak. I thought it was the weakest part of the whole episode. And granted, it was it was a moment that was maybe a second long. Here's this is totally unrelated to this scene, but here's where the humor in the episode works, and here's where it fails. The humor fails here. Say goodbye, Spock. Goodbye, Spock. Eh, not that great. Where the humor works is on the B plot of this episode with the whole Ash Tyler and uh, and Stamets thing. When Saru is in the turbo lift with Pike and says the Starfleet manual offers no regulatory guidelines for interactions between humans with Klingons grafted to their bones and a ship's doctor returned from the dead. And he says it deadpan (laughs) like that. And it's hilarious. I love it. I have to give Pike all the credit in the world there for not just going. (laughs) I know what the regulations are, mister. <laughs> Don't quote the regulations to me. <laughs> but it, I'm going to be fleet captain someday and wind up in a chair that goes boom. Exactly. It does fall short. Sorry about that. It does fall short um, with that scene. But again, does it kill the episode? Not, not at all. No, no, not by any means. I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was a moment to sort of give a wink and a nod to the audience, like, "Yep, yeah, it's not them." Wink, wink. Um, but ultimately I, it's, it's the most minor of quibbles with the episode. I think I might've even said the same thing on discovering Trek. I honestly don't remember because it was almost two years ago. That's right. You know what? This just popped into my head and I meant to say it way back at the beginning of the show. So I'm sorry. I'm backtracking a little bit. The opening scene with the whole flashback and drove me crazy the first time. Do you know that with that appearance, Major Roddenberry, Major Barrett Roddenberry has been on TOS, TNG, DS9, Voyager, Enterprise, and Discovery. I did not stop to think. Isn't about that amazing? That's amazing. Because she was different uh, computer AIs and Enterprise. We didn't see her, but she was, and she was in the Kelvin Timeline movie, obviously too. So that's a lot of uh, that's quite the the spanning of the generation, so to speak. For, for yeah, the- well, you do hear Majel in the uh, Enterprise finale. Yes, that's correct. Yep. Um, because the Riker's on a holodeck. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's um, a lot of, uh, Star Trek. Still not, uh, as many appearances as, as Johnny Drake's. <laughs> um, but incredibly respectable. Unlike you. I'm not respectable at all. Um, I- I'm curious to see if, um, we get any more flashbacks in Star Trek Strange New Worlds with regard to the whole Pike Vena thing or how this informs some of his decision-making or some of his experiences? I think that's a great question because as we've talked about before, we already know that him knowing what his future is going to be like, we can't help but wonder if that's going to guide some of his decisions. Is he going to hesitate? Is he going to say, is this the day? When's the first time he has to go to a cadet class starship to do an inspection? Is that going to be the, oh my God, is this going to be it? So we know that those things might drive him, and possibly we'll see that in Strange New World. But it'll be very interesting to to see if we can have flashbacks like that, which also help him drive his determination and his decision-making process in the new show. I think that would be fantastic. 
I, I, I think so too. I, and I can only hope that, you know, they bring yeah, Martha George back somehow absolutely. because I, I feel like I need to see her as Vina. Again. Yeah. You know, what also was interesting is I did like how they showed Michael her true form. They did a great job with making her look very similar to the way Vina looked like in the cage when she showed Pike what, uh, what she really looked like after they tried to fix a humanoid, even though they were humanoid. I wish there had been a little more definition in that scene because, you know, in the cage, Vina looks a little bit like Quasimodo. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's got this giant hunchback. She's horribly disfigured. I feel like they dialed it down a bit with Melissa George um, and probably on purpose, but also there, there's some lens flare. There's some shadows. I, I, I didn't get the sense in that shot that it was as pronounced a change as it was in 1960 a lot of scarring on her face but that's really all you could make out so yeah, yeah. i agree with that yep absolutely i am um, i i love how this episode complements the cage and the menagerie um, at the same time i think it's a great middle act in that entire story and i think if you're going to watch um these you almost kind of have to watch them back to back and then follow this up with the menagerie. So you're looking at a little four episode mini yeah. marathon, but I think it tells a great story as far as Christopher Pike is concerned. It really works. And and one of the things that I also liked about the end of this episode, it kind of gives you that thought process if you if for some reason you don't know what's going to happen in the menagerie. The way that they leave Talos for, it's kind of a like a this is the last time we'll see Talos 4. They mean they're very pronounced at showing the orbit of the planet and Discovery swooping by with a great flyby in front of the camera before it warps off. Kind of a like a, okay, goodbye, Talos 4. We'll see you. We'll never see you again. Wink. Ah, ah. <laughs> but that's just me. No, that's true. You know, when I think about the episode title, um, there's a lot here that relies on the memories of others. Yeah. You know, in, in the case of Culber and and, uh, and Tyler, um, they're working on the memories of what occurred between the two of them in season one. In the case of Burnham and Spock, they're dealing with the memories that that were uh, that caused great injury as as children, right? To Spock. Mm-hmm. And in the case of Pike and Vina, it's what he's carried with him ever since that experience uh, in the cage several years earlier. So. I mean, the title seems kind of throwaway on some level, but when you think that it permeates really this entire episode, it's kind of amazing to think um, what it means in the scope of all these characters. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I look at it as memory serves this whole episode. It, it really makes a lot of sense when you break down each one of the story arcs going on in, in this episode, because there are a lot of them, and they all deal with those very specific memories. Absolutely. So- so looking at if memory serves, would you say, I mean, because we've, we've talked a lot about Discovery Season 2 on Discovering Trek, the Star Trek Universe Companion. You can find where to subscribe at discoveringtrek.com. Um, do you find that this is one of the, the better or the best Season 2 episodes? And if so, why? Yeah, uh, um, it, it highlights something that we've all loved ever since we were kids watching Star Trek, and that is... The Menagerie. I mean, we we looked at the Menagerie as the one when we were kids because the cage had never been released. And and people have always wanted to see more Pike. And we get that in Season 2, but we get a home run with this one because we get Pike in Season 2 of Discovery, but we get Pike and Vina and Talos Four and the Talosians and all of that stuff wrapped up. Is it the best episode of the season? I really don't know. Um, I would have to go back and watch the season and compare 
be complete again. But I'll tell you what, um, the episode where Pike sees what his future is like, that is the moment that I actually DM the writers of the episode to thank them for bringing that moment because I wanted to see it since I was a kid. And that kind of skews my thinking right now if I'm thinking about specific aspects of the season. That was my favorite moment. I'd have to go back and see if that was my favorite episode. But this one's right up there, top two or three. Yeah, the episode you're talking about is uh, season two, episode 12, Star Trek Discovery, Through the Valley of yes. Shadows. Yep. Um, right before the finale. Mm-hmm. A great episode written by uh, Bo Yon Kim and Erica Lippolt and directed by Doug Arniakoski. Um, and we should point out that if memory serves, um, written by Dan Dworkin and Jay Beattie and directed by TJ Scott, um, a great job by everybody all around there. I mean, we've, we've decided that we need to talk more about the creatives and, and the people who write and direct these episodes. And, and ultimately my hat's off to both of them. If I had to pick myself as far as do I think if memory serves is one of the better episodes of season two, um, I think it is, but I think it's overshadowed by through the Valley of shadows, no pun intended. Um, I think that, I am really tied to the events of what happens to Pike. And I think it's because I was invested in Pike so early. So we get a couple of very large payoffs for Pike in this season that really add context and backstory to this character that we've never had before. And that to me was the most exciting. And isn't it amazing that the biggest payoff is the worst thing that happens to him to be able to see that. And I don't want to go too much tangent. I mean, we're still talking about Pike. So I guess it kind of fits with what we're talking about with this episode, but seeing that in, in that episode was the thing I have waited 50 years to see in Star Trek. And even though it's, it's a horrible moment and it's grotesque and, and, and deadly. Oh my God. Is that moment, that moment is just the best moment of the season for me. I just absolutely love that, that entire sequence. Yeah, no, I I don't disagree with you. I think uh, part, this entire season of Star Trek Discovery is really the reason why we have a brand new Star Trek series coming with Captain mm-hmm. Pike. Absolutely. Um, if if they don't make the decision to put that character in Discovery season two, Strange New Worlds never happens. Exactly. Um, and I'm I have to say I'm as much as I love Discovery, as much as I love Picard, as much as I truly enjoyed Lower Decks, I cannot wait for Strange New Worlds. Because it's going to be the treatment of this character that I have always hoped for. It's going to be the treatment of the character that we want. It's going to be episodic. Back to episodic television. They've already stated that. I think that's going to be great to have that back in Star Trek. Don't get me wrong. I love the serialized arc that really started all the way back with Deep Space Nine when you think about it. But when you have Discovery's arc and you have the Picard arc. And Lower Decks was episodic, but it had an arc. It had a season-long situation going on with the relationship to that crew. Um, I think it's going to be great if we get get back to the alien of the week. I've said in the past that I don't really like that, but the more I've watched episodes again, the more I've really enjoyed it. So I, I don't want to see, you know, Worf's spine is broken this week, but then he's, you know, running the Olympics the next week episodes. Um, but it will be great to get back to episodic television, I think. Well, I think Star Trek is a canvas that can suit both, both formats yeah. very easily. And I, I think that the audience will be fine with it too. Um, I, I think that, I, I I think that there's only an infinite number of places to go with that. Yeah. And that's why I'm so excited. So Dan, that kind of wraps our look on if memory serves. Do you have any other final thoughts on the episode? I, you know, it's so good. 
it it gives you that warm feeling seeing it. Uh, the 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 characters, uh, the actors just blended together so well. The storyline was great. Like you said, it it's not one hundred percent needed in the arc of the Discovery season two, but for me, it was needed in my arc of Star Trek. Let's put it that way. It was it was fantastic to see, and it makes me want more. But if we don't get more, I'm satisfied with what we got. Yeah. Um. I, to, I want to double back on something since uh, inv- invariably we're going to get an email on it. Um, we talked about the the Telosian Keeper and how it was played by a male in this particular episode and it was played by a female originally in 1965. Um, Rob Brownstein does play a character called the Keeper. What we do not know is if it's the same individual that Meg Willie played in 1965. So, um, they were both the keeper, but for all we know, it could be a new yeah, keeper. Could be. Yep. You know, zookeepers, you know, they change jobs. Then one San Diego, one's in Atlanta. They could have swapped. You never know. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we got this human. We can't take care of him. We need to get the guy from Atlanta in here. Well, okay. Then it's the keeper. He comes in and he's like, <laughs> I've got a human I can't take care of and I have a podcast with him. <laughs> well done. Well done. And Dan, that wraps our two-episode look at uh, Pike and Vina and the Telosians. And really, it's just uh, it's amazing to think that 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 entire pilot, which you know wasn't parts of it were canon, mm-hmm. certainly, but uh, but now really, if you think about it, the whole thing is, and it's it's amazing thanks to Star Trek Discovery, especially that canon was canon. I'm gonna slap you, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> Before I do that, I want to be sure to thank everybody in the band Five Year Mission. Those guys are amazing. Every note of music you hear on the Trek Geeks podcast is all the band Five Year Mission. We want you to go out to their website at fiveyearmission.net, get all their CDs, get them sent to you, pop them in your CD player and listen to them because we guarantee you're going to become a huge fan. And while you're at it, check out Five Year Mission, the podcast here on the Trek Geeks podcast network. A bunch of great discussions with those guys about everything from episodes to songs to interviews with people like Mike and Denise Okuda and John Billingsley. We guarantee you're going to love it. So it's fiveyearmission.net. Go get all their discs, yo. Lots of discs, yo. Lots. Lots lots of. Year one, year two, year three, year four. Trouble with Tribbles. Spock's Brain. Rumor is they got another one coming out. Um, That'll be pretty awesome. Year five, I think it'd be if math is right. But yeah, they're awesome. You know what's not awesome, Bill? Your face. Besides my face, I walked into that one. Jesus. All right. It it seems only fitting that I'm going to talk about this episode uh, this week because our dear friends Haley and Sarah talked about it over on Rewind, um, which I'm (laughs) you got to check it out because they're just completely off the rails. Um, So you know you know this episode I'm talking about. I already can see you rolling your eyes, but worst episode of TNG in my opinion. It's masks. It's terrible. It's awful. Uh, a rogue comet at the center of which is an eight ancient alien archive. What? Data starts suffering from multiple personality disorder, all from these being oh, just, oh, it's really just terrible. And who would disagree? I mean, after all, the most fearful of these personalities is the leader and a demonic drum playing being of pure evil. Beware, Bill. Mafarka is waking. I'm sorry. Did you just say Mafarka? You damn right I did. I uh, I was going to say something else, but it get bleeped. <laughs> all right. 
You don't even try with these anymore, do you? I, I was. Oh my god! It took me like an hour to find this one and write up a story. It took you an hour to come up with the words because you're not that bright. Oh, well, it's different, That's I guess. Different, yeah. <laughs> Mafarka's waking. Mafarka. But it's, okay, so if it's bad, then you could say that it's as bad as this episode because this this was actually voted the worst episode of TNG by whom? I I only it was on Wikipedia. I was reading something about it. Somebody they ranked it number two, but then it's actually number one because Shades of Grey was a was a retro episode and not a flashback episode and not a real episode. So it's technically number one. It was you, wasn't it? Because anybody can edit Wikipedia. <laughs> I would never do that. Wikipedia is not a source for anything. I, I understand that, but I, I was on it when I saw that. <laughs> yeah, because you wrote the entry, you <laughs> idiot. That's fiveyearmission.net. Uh, someday Dan is going to try to do a good Farkism, and it sure as hell isn't this week. Don't forget, you too can support the Trek Geeks Podcast Network by subscribing to bonus content via Patreon, where you can get all kinds of special exclusive perks like laptop stickers and t-shirts and our unparalleled annual supporters pin which we produce with our fan friends at fansets every year dan i'm gonna like write a farkism book that only patreon people can get to that might be a good perk that'll be like the upper 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 tier don't you think people are gonna make us start giving them money if you do that <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, I'm going to thank, uh, I'm going to just take a moment here to thank our associate producers for Trek Geeks. We are so grateful for their support. And they are Dave Andrews, Vikram Bhatt, Luke Burnham, Brad DeMag, William Edward M. Jr., Brandon Everidge, Andy Fark, Kimberly Francis, Jonathan Hamilton, Brooke Horton, Ryan Jeffs, John Krikorian, Sean Lynn, Rick Mason, Jamie McGregor, Aaron Mollenkoff, Shane Murray, Tim Robertson, Greg Rozier, Eric Sakian, Adam Sanders, Tim Serdar, Heather Sohn, Lisa Tomlinson, Jessica Dax Vincent, Trey, Wo Trey Womack, I'm out of breath, uh, Ron Robel, and the gracious and wonderful Conrad Hutchins. What? <laughs> what was that? Did you do a little stutter start there? Um, yeah, as usual, great read, Dan. We also want to thank our Trek Geeks producers for their support. They are Mike Bovia, Chaz Bradshaw, Ken Bird, Kyle Castillo, Peter Craig, Rachel Delaney, Craig Ewing, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Kimberly Hartman, David Hood, Lionel Marchand, Matt McGonigal, Jim McMahon, Charlie Mulby, Sean O'Halloran, Jamie Rogers, Casey Shafsky, Chris Trebuzio, Ken Tripp, Christina Werther, and the lovely and talented Jess Vashon. That was no different than my read. Anyway, uh, you too can become a producer on the Trek Geeks Network, and it is so easy to do. Just head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks for all the details. It was incredibly different because I sounded professional. Wow. Um, next week, Dan, we're going to take a look at one of our favorite mini arcs in Star Trek Enterprise. I'm putting my finger up to my mouth right now, like mini me, but that's another story I'm putting story my for finger up time. to the screen. <laughs> Yes, uh, you know, uh, it wasn't just this past year that Brent Spiner returned to Star Trek. Back in 2004, he played an entirely different Sung in the arc that told us more about the Augments, you know, those genetically engineered superhumans who seem to have superior abilities and superior ambitions, kind of like Bill. Uh, so next week on Trek Geeks, we're going to look at the episodes Borderland, Cold Station 12, and the Augments on the flagship of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. It's Trek Geeks. It's going to happen next week. 
It is. We've never done a threefer before. No. Uh-uh. Um, but we're going to take a look at the arc and what this means for Star Trek overall, including some of the retcon. And that's next week on Trek Geeks. For more great Star Trek discussion, please check out our other member podcasts of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. In addition to Rewind, Politrex, Five-Year Mission, Picard Live, all of those, you can hear the brand new Deep Space Pride with Mike Thurlow and Johnson Lee, as well as Infinite Trek with Aaron Harvey and Brandy Jackala. You can find all of our podcasts, including where to listen, by visiting trekgeeks.com slash listen. The Trek Geeks Podcast Network, no one talks Trek like we do. And of course, for all the news on all the Star Trek show, please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode number 235 of the Trek Geeks Podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Coconut is waking. Oh, coconut is coming back up. Gross. Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing an original song for each episode of Star Trek. Hear more of their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks is a production of Coconut Media Works. Executive producers Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. For more great Star Trek discussion, discover the other shows of the Trek Geeks podcast network at trekgeeks.com or find us in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Why are you snoring? Because that's what I hear behind me with my dogs. Bing bong. Oh. <laughs> Abby is. A- is- <laughs> Go ahead. Ari is a snorer. <laughs> oh, so is Abby, but Abby's behind me right now. She just barely put her head down, as you can probably see. Yeah. Um, but she's been staring at me the whole time that I've been talking to the magic box. <laughs> the magic box. That's great. Yeah. Aria, when she gets comfortable, even if she's not sleeping, she's a loud breather. And she, all- I may have said this before on the show, she always likes to put her leg up. So it's always like on our Callie's back or on my hip or there's been times where she's come up in the middle of us in bed and curled up and all of a sudden I got a foot on my nose. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that only happened in Vegas. <laughs> yeah. She's a good girl. But yeah, it's right before I sat down, they came trotting in here and hopped up on the bed and she curled up in the Star Trek pillows and Callie's right here at the end. Just all relaxed Oh, I, just, I, I didn't notice her before now. Yeah, now I both, did. Now they're it's both there. Uh-huh. That's Both of them. Funny. So I'm very excited, dude, because I've been working in the podcast studio here for, for two years now in the in the new house, and I've been on a very small desk. It's literally only, I don't know, not even not even five feet long. Yeah, oh, yeah, very small. I'm, I ordered a new one, and it should be in in a couple of days, and it's going to be an L shape, so I'll have two. I'll be able to get two monitors finally set up, and I'll be able to switch between work and PC computer in the same location. So I'm wow. very excited. Welcome to the 21st century. I know. It's it's going to be quite wonderful. I'm looking forward to it, because I don't have any room to work on this thing. Yeah. I even have a, uh, a stand-up desk, you know, yes. stand-to-sit setup. Yep. yep. Um, that I got off Amazon that was that was pretty cheap, so... The one I use out in the loft for work is a stand-up one that I can lower and raise, and it's pretty cool. But I want to have something in here that gives me space to work and has two monitors and not a monitor stand taking up three quarters of the desk by itself. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, well, congratulations. Thank you.
Thank you. I'm glad to be a part of the show. <laughs> wow. Harsh. Glad to be a part of the show. I wish I were glad that you were a part of the show. So let me ask you another question. You, uh, uh, you want to to? You want to go to the beach anytime soon? Because if you do, you can just come over to my front yard. What do you mean? Grubs have destroyed my front lawn. It is all dirt. The crows have been coming in and picking the grubs out, and the lawn is it's gone. I have I raked it all out, and it's pretty much all just dirt right now. So, so come on over. Go to the beach. Um, It's too chilly out. God almighty. It's a good thing it wasn't on the side of the house that we just replaced all the grass this year. Uh, it didn't happen over there. So, yeah. I want you to know this is absolutely riveting listening for people who've made it this far. You know, the, show. the outtake is to talk about things that you wouldn't normally talk about on the show, boring or nigh. No um, kidding. So we're going with boring today. So <laughs> we're going with the Davidson standard. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You just say Dan Davidson and everybody can just go to sleep. Speaking of nigh, <laughs> I think you're gonna like this one. I'm gonna be on uh uh, sci-fi distilled again in a couple weeks i'm very excited about um to talk about underworld which i know is not a movie that you like very much but i love and i'm going to be impersonating bill nye the whole evening yeah it's i could eh, i kind of met over it it's not that i hate it necessarily i saw the first one in theaters yeah. and everyone i saw it with was like oh that was awesome and i was like eh. it's one of our it's one of our three go-to movies whenever we're what are the other two uh 40 year old virgin so I Married an Axe Murderer, uh, and True Lies is also, it's our top go-to, because that's the movie that was playing the moment we met. Oh, right, right. Yeah, so that one's all the time. But we, we'll, if we ever we're not sure what we want to watch, or if I'm going to stitch and don't want to really look at the TV, we'll throw in a go-to movie, and Underworld is always right at the top of the list. Interesting. Oh, I love it. And the other ones, the second one's great. The third one's great because it's a prequel. It's about what happened hundreds and hundreds of years ago, which they talk about in the first and second one. But the ones after that are dreadful. Drek. <laughs> Drek. Drek. The Drek. I, lo- I loved him. Big green ogre guy. Drek. <laughs> yeah, no? he has layers like onions, right? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, it. Exactly. Yeah, I knew we got one. My wife and I finished watching uh, all 14 seasons of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia last night. That's a lot of seasons. And we're about to restart the show. Really? Yeah. I've seen commercials of it, and the commercials are kind of funny, but I've never watched any episode. I thought I would be annoyed by it, and these people are so terrible that I love it. <laughs> oh, it fits um, right in. The, well, th- I think that's really the thing. I mean, <laughs> there's nothing redeemable about many of these characters, and it's just a, a never-ending series of, are you effing kidding me? Whoa. Okay. Um, it's, uh, I find it hilarious, but then I'm a little warped, as you know. Um, Star Trek reference. No, not at all. <laughs> um, but it's just a series my wife and I both laughed pretty much all the way through. And you figure most of the seasons are 10 episode seasons. There are a few that aren't. Mm-hmm. There are a few that are a little longer. But 14, you know, there's over 140 episodes of the show. And they're all about 20 minutes long. Now, I know it's not close, but where would you rate it in your enjoyment of The Office for this? Um, it's hard for me to say. For my wife, Office will always be number one. And Sunny is always, is, gonna, is her new number two. Oh, it's a new number two. Wow, that's yeah. pretty high praise. Huh. It is. And I was kind of surprised by that. I like it a great deal. Mm-hmm. Um, I will always love The Office. I think The Office has surpassed Arrested Development as my favorite all-time comedy. Okay. Um, and I'm not really sure how Sunny fits in, but it has just so many moments that are laugh out loud, funny and uncomfortable that I just it makes me want to watch it again. I love uncomfortable comedy. Then I know that my wife will hate it. 
<laughs> Sue, she will. Sue will not watch The Office because of the awkwardness. She won't watch Breaking Bad because of the stress. So if it's it's an, if it's uncomfortable situations in Philadelphia, she ain't gonna watch it. <laughs> Which is amazing because she lives with you, and that in itself is the ultimate uncomfortable situation. I hate you so much, <laughs> so much. You know, sometimes you just tee it up so nicely for me uh, that I just stand up in the tee box like, and square it off and hit it for three hundred yards. It's like putting a basketball on that tee. Sometimes I think, uh, yeah. Yeah. I'd still smack it for 300 yards when you do it like that. <laughs> See, I guess so. <sighs> uh-huh. Anyway. It's always sunny in Dan Davidson's world. So I made somebody happy last week. That's, that doesn't happen very well. Wow, this is breaking news on the Trek Geeks podcast. <laughs> Dan made somebody happy. Yep. We only wish it was somebody related to Actually, you. maybe I should say it was Fansets who made somebody happy, but it was through me. So fan sets made somebody right, happy. Right. Dan's just yeah. trying to take credit for it. Yeah. My oldest fiance, <laughs> Tasha, has been ill, and she's a huge Scooby-Doo fan. So when the, the release came out, I bought a whole set of pins and sent them to her so she would have something to smile about. So I got a very nice text from her the other day, and it made me happy. And I only got one pin for Sue. I only got the Scooby-Doo pin. So, you know, I got Tasha the whole set. Wow. So yeah. what... Why didn't you buy just two whole sets while you were there? She didn't want all of Penn. She only wanted Scooby. She only wanted Scooby, at least for now. So maybe for Christmas, I'll get her the other thing. It's not like she listens to the show, so she won't know I'm giving away any secrets. No, but I am friends with her on Facebook. (laughs) 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 Oh, man. (laughs) Why are you crying? That's funny. Oh, jeez. I'm I'm still laughing from before that (laughs) joke I made about you finally please somebody. I just overlooked it. What a shock it wasn't your wife. <laughs> oh, there's another oh. one. Zinger. Zinger. Uh, I'll be here all week. And yeah, that's because I, I largely stay there forever. I'm not going anywhere and having for seven no months. No place. Yep. Zero. Tomorrow is my seven-month anniversary at home. Mm. It was wow. Friday the 13th of March. Yeah. Wow. Seven, seven long months. Seven long months. Yep. But you know what? It's all, it's all good. Yeah. <sighs> uh. I don't have to see you in person, so it's it's more than good. It's awesome. Seeing you on my ring doorbell yesterday was close enough. That was scary, wasn't it? I tried to hide myself. So I, I, You know what I was going to do purposely? I was going to throw the box like that delivery guy did that you put out on video. I was going to give you the finger as I walked away, but I didn't want to upset anybody. I'll give you the finger right now. <laughs> I'm not talking about you. It's, it's always about me. <laughs> I know it is. Believe me. I've been dealing with you for a long time. Shut up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so um f- fun one today oh yeah so good there's so much in that episode that i forgot it took place in that episode i know bring them out oh, i love that line just so awesome great 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 episode great 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 it was like great, tony great. the tiger great great thank you i knew that you'd walk right into that one thanks for and then it's uh the season premiere of discovery this week i know after a year and a half i know and it was, ugh. <laughs> yep. What a fun lower deck season, though, as we're talking about Star Trek. It really was super fun. Fantastic. And uh, I'm, I'm glad that, well, I'm glad that we had Mike McMahon on as early as we did, because now everybody else is starting to have him on and um, doing stuff that we've already done. Learning from the So, best. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we got him before Mission Log, that's all I'm going to say. Oh, yeah. Mission Log champion. <laughs> Please. Talk about Drek. Oh, you know, the only reason he went on the the only reason McMahon went on that show is because of the great Norman Lau. Let's be honest. Exactly, or or maybe because Mr. Roddenberry made him uh, one or the other. I'm not really sure. Mr. Roddenberry, Dude, uh, you know, know we are. He's, he's Rod. 
<laughs> no, 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 no. He will always, at least to me, he will always be Mr. Roddenberry in a towel on the bridge of the Enterprise. You can't see <laughs> this. Bathrobe. And, and nobody at home can see this, but I'm going to move my microphone so you can. Okay. Um, somebody has turned into instant belly whore here. <laughs> She's lifting her leg up like Rabbi. <laughs> so this is what Abby does. My dog, Abby. She will lie down in that spot here in our home office if I am like on a conference call or on a meeting and she will lie down on her side and lift her left front paw like, <laughs> do you see my belly? Yeah. It's not going to rub itself, daddy. <laughs> Come here, rub my belly. Oh my God. And I could go over there and rub her she's belly do- for 15 minutes. She's doing it right now. She's still doing it. You're not even looking at her and she's doing it. Oh, I know. <laughs> She'll do this all the time. I could rub her belly for 15 minutes, come back. And she'll get right back up and go, did you know I have a oh, belly? Oh, God, that's so funny. It's funny that she does that without you doing anything. Aria does something similar. If I rub her neck or if I rub her belly and she's sitting on the couch with me, when I stop, she'll start batting at me with her paw. <laughs> it, it's it's pretty funny. Yeah, that's that's adorable, though. But it's, Abby's adorable. Oh, my God. It's just every day she does this. And Well, she started at 6 o'clock this morning. Ooh, that's early. Well, we get up at six. We went yeah. out, so I'll say six fifteen. We came back inside, sat on the sofa. I made some coffee. I sat down next to her, and um, that's when the belly rub started, or the belly request bellies. for bellies, belly bellies. So jelly bellies. Belly. No, okay, Sorry. no puppy bellies. Puppy bellies. Well, now that we're all bellied out, um, <laughs> belly up to the bar, so to speak. I like pork belly. What is wrong with you? <laughs> Shut up. Make my You've belly got, like verbal diarrhea today. <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. It's like al- oh, it's like alphabets. The cereal. Or or Shut up and <laughs> let's do this. Are you done? Yeah, I'm done. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> well, see, I was thinking chicken noodles and soup that's all in letters. Okay. <laughs> what? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> She's doing it again. I think <laughs> Don't they have Cheez-Its and letters too? I don't, I don't know. I have no idea. My dog is doing it again. I, I, she's adorable. She can come over here. I'll rub her belly. <laughs>